Welcome to TJ Frog's podcast, where I chat about my knitting, dorset buttons and creativity in general, as well as sharing my love of Scotland, especially the Highlands and Islands. Hello, I'm Tanya, aka TJ Frog, or sometimes called the Button Lady. And in my creative business, I predominantly make and promote the traditional craft of dorset buttons, which dates back to the early 1600s, a cottage industry that employed many people in Dorset on the south coast of England. Brought up in Dorset, I now live on the Isle of Skye, and wherever you may be in the world, welcome, and thank you for joining me for my 30th episode, Time Rolls On. Firstly then, apologies for my absence. I was all ready to go for this episode, which was due at the end of May, and then my energy just evaporated, and then another week had gone by and yeah we were in June and the summer solstice has passed us now and I just can't quite believe how time has marched on these past few weeks of May and June they've just slipped past me totally and I have tried recording this once in fact I recorded 40 minutes of it and ended up binning it because I just sounded so flat And when I'm editing my podcast, I have to listen to myself quite a lot as part of that editing process, which is never easy to do. And even more so when your voice has just got no energy in it. So if I didn't want to listen to it, I'm sure you wouldn't have wanted to. (laughs) Here goes then. A new day, a new voice. Let's see how this goes. I'm back then with another title with the word time in which for me feels very apt with everything that's happening in the world at the moment. I've called it time rolls on. I felt in the beginning the the role was very gentle. I feel now that the role is going down a hill and gathering momentum and speed and kind of just running away with me. How how are you feeling about time? Have you felt a sort of change For us, one of the things around time is that the pandemic's actually afforded us time together, which we wouldn't normally have had at this time of year because Garrett's work would have taken him away from home quite a bit. And that's that's been lovely to have that time together. What we have done during that time is, and certainly in the last few weeks, been quite deep in conversation about everything that is happening whether that be local, national or global. There's been the stark reminder about systemic racism that exists in the world. And yet, for many black people, they didn't need a reminder. It's an experience that they've continually lived with and has happened throughout time for them and continues to do so today. We have found it very insightful to acknowledge what we do know about racism, more importantly, what we don't know, and discuss and work out a way to navigate through learning more, which is going to be an ongoing process for us. I've been thinking back to the last podcast episode, which was time, choice and change. And those three words in particular really resonated with me around the conversations that we've been having on racism, about what changes have happened over time, what choices people have had, or you know, what change or choice haven't happened or people haven't had. 
and what changes might we see in the future? What changes do we want to see in the future? And what choices do we have to try to be part of those changes? And there's certainly much to consider there. I know that we've been really fortunate to be able to spend this time together. I know that not everybody is with family or friends during this time. Last time I spoke about local being key and I've certainly read and heard a lot of stories about people just tuning in more to what is happening on their doorstep, whether it be finding new locations to explore from their front door, hearing sounds of nature more that were drowned out previously by traffic, realising that there is actually a neighbourhood, there's a community and that there is support out there. I think there is much that we will, you know, in hindsight, learn from this period in our lives in terms of, you know, what is actually important to us and what are our priorities and where can we best put our support to others. Somehow, with all this change in our time, I've still been behind in listening and watching podcasts and it's not long since I've caught up with Louise from Caithness Craft Collective and I'd like to thank Louise for her mention of me and in particular Skye and the care home in Portree where there were sadly 10 deaths from COVID-19 and all but four people from all the other residents and staff tested positive. I think Many of us are aware of a number of care homes around the world that have had high incidences and having had in the past two elderly relatives with dementia and vascular dementia residing in care homes, my heart goes out to all of you if you've got family or or loved ones in this situation. As you can probably imagine, for a place like Sky, this outbreak has been quite significant and as well as the devastating heartbreak for everybody involved, it's also caused a lot of worry and anxiety amongst the community. And it does feed into the worry of the community from what I'm seeing as we start to look ahead for tourism opening up again in Scotland from the 15th of July. That's the the current plan at the moment with the Scottish government. And it's, it's a really hard dynamic because there's those businesses who want to get back up and running who need the income and there are those who do not want people traveling here from afar and visiting what is a a fragile community which already in previous seasons struggles with providing infrastructure for tourists and you know this year is going to mean that there's far far fewer facilities for people to to use and enjoy uh yeah so that's going to be uh, as i say an interesting dynamic to see how that develops here my word is surreal that's the word i keep coming back to to describe all of this and i think that we're going to have many bumps along the road in the way ahead as we ease ourselves into a life living with coronavirus in the world. Now I realise I've just done this great big long piece and I haven't even told you what I'm going to talk about in the podcast today. Right, I'm going to be covering the weather. (laughs) I really cannot believe how good the weather has treated us during lockdown. It's, yeah, could have been so easily different. 
making. I finished a couple of my projects from the Die Gilpin retreat and I talk about what's on my needles and all the things I've got lined up to do. Dorset buttons, there's a couple of things to talk about here, but there's, there's a few things that are just quite not ready to bring to the tables. Local lowdown, if you've been with me from the start, you will know that there's a particular drink that I like and I've been a little bit remiss of late in mentioning it. It's time to change that. And the Sky Showcase, something a little bit different today and very much closer to home. There's a clue. The weather. As I say, the, the weather has continued to be very kind to us. It's been really very hot at times and where I've been able to, I've taken my table outside into the garden and worked or sat and knitted and read outside. We don't have any shelter though and it can be extremely bright because we face south. Uh, so it's not, you can't really sit out there doing anything on the computer because it's just, just as I say, too bright. But it's been lovely to have that option to do that. We had a couple of blips of the weather when the wind and the rain returned to remind us that, yeah, we, you know, we do get to <laughs> the, these weather um, differences that uh, can be a little bit rough at times. And there was even one day at the beginning of May when there was a light dusting of snow on the very tops of the mountains. If you've ever listened to my earlier episodes, in fact, episode seven, I talked about my dislike of bracken. And it's bracken time. It is popping up everywhere. It is creeping up everywhere. It's even in our garden now, which we need to put a stop to. And as much as I love the, the shapes that the tips make as they grow, I find that really intriguing and lovely patterns that it forms. I still don't like it. <laughs> and one of the paths that we've, we have been using to get up onto the forest track is quite steep. And the first bit at the moment is bracken. It's just, yeah, shot up. And we're probably going to have to take some... Uh, cutters along with us next time we we want to use that path having said about walking though the hills finally got to me I did mention that we'd been out walking quite a bit and my hips were feeling the benefit although hurting from all the hills and I finally had a, a virtual physio appointment as a, another new experience and I've injured my sacroiliac hip joint which is both frustrating and annoying as well as a little bit painful it is getting better, but like any injury, it's just a bit of patience and time. And I'm certainly missing all the benefits of what I was getting from the walking. I've really noticed a difference not being able to get out and do that in the way that I was. It's been lovely, though, to still see what's happening around us. Lambing has continued in our crofting community. Seeing them from having just been born and then trying to get up on their legs and falling over and then those first tentative steps to seeing them skipping around with their new pals and then turning into little robust sheep, you know, they, they suddenly lose that, that real youngness that they have. And now quite a lot of them are out on the headland where, uh, yeah, when we have those weather blips, they certainly experience a, a bit more extreme weather out there water in the garden though that really is something I never thought we'd do on Sky well I say we 
the royal wig. Garrett's actually been the one out doing it, which is even more unusual. <laughs> uh, my tomato plants are still alive and we have tomatoes. None yet that are ready to pick, but we're going to end up with quite a good crop. I'm really chuffed with them. And that would never have happened, but for the pandemic. And the piece of land which no longer has sheep on, we did let that just grow and do its own thing this year. Sadly, there hasn't been any um, wildflowers. I was really hoping that we might see the bluebells and then some of the other wildflowers. There hasn't, just lots of grass swaying in the wind. <laughs> there is potentially, though, some new neighbours. The other patch of land to the side of our house that then... Uh, goes into that piece of land our neighbour is going to put cattle on which is going to be interesting and in fact was only out there yesterday replacing the fence because the fence that is needed to keep cattle in needs to be a little bit more robust than keeping the sheep in I will keep you um, updated as to how we get on with our new neighbours <laughs> talking of flowers my absolute favourite is out and about the foxglove and shining through the bracken, pushing the bracken out of the way. <laughs> As a child, I loved seeing foxglove. I always thought it was so magical. Everything about it, its height, really quite majestic. Uh, the shape of the flower heads, how they increase and decrease, uh, how they fall, the colours, the richness. And how they, yeah, just everything about them, I, I just love so much. And there's loads of clumps around at the moment. Again, it just feels like there's more than ever before when I go out and about. I sincerely hope that this good weather continues for much longer. <laughs> I may have said in one of my winter episodes that people had said we were in for a good summer and they were right. We've certainly had a good summer. It's been a little dull, though, since the summer solstice and we've had to have the lights on in the evening. And that just feels like we're suddenly, again, time's marching on to winter. You know, we're, we're going down to the, the sort of shorter days. I don't really want that to go too fast. I'd like this good weather to stay around a little bit longer with us. Making. I know that some of you struggled with creativity during these turbulent times, while Others have found it a great source of comfort. I'm certainly one of those who have enjoyed the creativity, have had this real added extra desire to be creative. What I have lost, though, is my love of reading, which it saddens me, really, because it's something I never thought would happen. And I'm not quite sure why it's happened. I've always been somebody who's been immersed in a book, whether it be a fiction book or a non-fiction book. Because I love learning. I just have always loved learning new things. And even as a child, I was a real bookworm and was always in the library. And I possibly wonder whether it's that headspace, that ability to take in new information, to concentrate on new material. And it's actually my hands at the moment that I really want to be doing stuff with. I I'm, I'm really feel lost if I've got nothing in my hands. I hope the reading comes back to me. I'm, I'm, I'm part of a book club, so I've got a book to read for July. <laughs> I need it to come back at some point. And I've got a whole host of fiction and non-fiction books that are vying for my attention. So while reading isn't actually making, I think lots of creativity comes through reading different 
material. And I have signed up to do a couple of courses which might help with my getting back into reading, which maybe I'll talk about more in the next episode. The projects from the Die Gilpin Retreat then. We heard Di talk last time about the Harlequin gloves, which had been inspired by Picasso, and I finally finished mine, and I love them. It's the first time I've knitted a pair of gloves, so something for the winter. They're in the La Land wool, four different colours. They're very vibrant, and they're placed, the colours are placed differently across the two gloves, which I love as well, because it just adds a little extra bit of uh, quirkiness to them. Di also gave us a copy of her wave pattern, which is a cowl pattern, and uses just a single skein of her Shawska wool, which is cashmere and Scottish breeds, and it's spun at US Mill. And it's a lovely repeat pattern. It's got lace stitches and travelling cables. And in the early part of lockdown, this was my end of day knit. And I was also doing it in a couple of the Zoom calls that I was doing, although I actually ended up ripping it back more times than I'd like to remember because my cables were not travelling where they should have been travelling. <laughs> and they really were travelling too far away from the pattern that I was happy keeping them where they were. So, uh, yeah, quite a lot of ripping back was done on that. And I'm glad that it's finally finished. It did make me think, though, about cables and cable needles and I wondered what you do because quite some time ago now I stopped using a cable needle. I didn't like the straight ones because they'd often fall out and I found with the sort of v-shaped ones I hated that where it's held in the v and then you've got to move the stitches and I just I don't know I just find them cumbersome and clunky and fiddly and get in the way so yeah, I ditched using cable needles a long time ago and this one had a H-stitch cable in it. So it's a little bit of a nifty operation to take all the stitches off the needle, four that are then either held front or back, putting them on the needle and then putting the other four back on. But I enjoy that because then you get to just knit all of those stitches straight off and that's what I do. I wondered what you do. Let me know in the uh, comments on the show notes or on Instagram or, or Facebook. Di and I also spoke about the Gansey stitches last time and we were given a number of little patterns to do to make up a sampler or to make up squares. And I've made them all up as individual squares and I've actually started making more of them. When I've finished knitting as many as I can in the couple of balls of wool that I've got, I'm then going to sew them together. I've got a couple of ideas, but I'll keep them to myself at the moment. <laughs> Finally then was the Alhambra-inspired piece, and Alhambra being the medieval Islamic palace city which sits in the walls of a UNESCO heritage site in Granada. And I was really desperate to finish this project because I don't know about you, but you know, I've been on workshops in the past and I've come back and I've not finished the project that we started, which explored what, whatever techniques we were learning. And I've got a bag somewhere of those said projects. So I didn't want this one to be another one of those that fell on the, the pile of workshop projects to be finished one rainy day. The project we were given, a sampler, and I had suggested, you know, we could make it into a... a a bag or a cowl or even a wall hanging and I decided that I would make it into a cover for the notebook that I bought at the shop at Alhambra 
and Dyad is, had encouraged us to come up with our own design on the back. So mine is inspired by the tile work that we saw on our visit there and also from the tile work on the cover from the notebook that I bought. And it's finished off with Dorset button closure and there's a picture again in the show notes. And I really enjoyed doing that project and I'm really glad that I focused on getting it finished. There are though some unfinished projects that I feel I ought to report back on. There's my eyelay jacket and I just have the sleeves left to do on this. I, I gave myself a real hard talking to. I was like, come on, Tanya, you, you've passed the biggest hurdle. You've done the whole back. You've done the two fronts. You've sewn them together at the shoulders. You know, and this is a lace and cable project. So that's a lot of work that I've done so far. There's the two sleeves left, though. And they're lace and cable sleeves. And they are beautiful to look at. But again, a lot of work. And... I decided to cast on one of these during a Zoom call, which wasn't my finest hour. And I managed a few rows. The downside was, though, I just felt my tension coming back. My neck was seizing up, my shoulder was tingling, and I started to get this knitting knot in my uh, upper arm. And yeah, I had to say, alarm bells are ringing here. Stop what you're doing. And so I started to evaluate what's actually happening here. And I think it's that working on a very small circumference with quite a lot of stitch change going on with the lace and the cables. And I need to think how I can do that without getting these pains going on in my, my upper left body. Do I limit myself to just a couple of rows a day, which means it's going to take forever to finish this project? I've also thought maybe switching from circular needles to DPNs to see if that makes any difference. But the thought of DPNs with, again, all the stitch changes doesn't really enthrall me. I haven't quite worked out how I'm going to go forward with this project yet. I will have to report back to you and let you know. If you've got any ideas in the meantime, please let me know. The other neglected project was one that uh, I talked about from New Year's Eve. It was the Love Note sweater by Tin Can Knits, which I cast on and forgot to do the provisional cast on. And I'd never gone back and started again. And after I'd got all these warning signs from doing the previous said project, I decided that I wanted something which was on bigger needles and had lots of knit stitch. The Love Note kind of fell into that because it's on a six millimeter needle predominantly knitting although there is that lace section around the yoke but it's not a particularly big section and because it's on bigger needles I found that much easier to do without getting any pain. I love the pattern it's very well written and incidentally Tin Can Knits have just released a new tutorial which covers all the different techniques that they use on this knit and if you've not seen their tutorials before they are very good. And this is a great top to knit, regardless of your knitting experience. I think even if you are a beginner to knitting, all of uh, the information that they give you, it would be a great one to uh, learn some new techniques on. I knitted the longer length because I knew that I didn't want the short crop. The longer length, having tried it on, is too still short for me. So I've knitted probably about another three inches onto it and I need to try it on again. I want to be able to wear it so it does need to feel right on me. 
Um, I love how crop tops look on other people, but they just don't feel right for for me and my my style. So I haven't decided yet whether I'm going to do the shaping at the bottom or just go into the rib. The only thing about this pattern is I wish I hadn't done it with mohair for two reasons. One, it's a long time since I've knitted with mohair and on the hot weather we've been having, there are some days I've just haven't been able to pick that project up because it's just been too sticky in my hands. And I've forgotten how much it gets everywhere. And I don't actually think I ever feel that cold these days that I'm going to be needing to wear a jumper with mohair in it. Only time will tell. <laughs> I went sash diving then because I needed a project to do to knit alongside this when it was too hot to, to handle. Um, and out came from my stash my Quince & Co Willets, which you might remember I bought back in Washington, D.C., and I went in search of some T-tops, something I've wanted to knit for a while. Again, I think because it's not something I have in my wardrobe, something with just a lot of knit stitching, something not too fitted or too much shape that I've got to think too much about it, but still with a nice style to it. Well, I ended up buying three patterns. First is Rayor by Rebecca Musa, and this is a stripy tee top. It's got three quarter length sleeves and it's knitted in the round. The sample on the pattern is knitted in a blue and cream, which really shows off the, the contrast. My colours are very subtly different. They're lentil and pistachio, but they still look great. I'm really enjoying the effect. The pattern does start with a lot of... Uh, shaping because it's uh, working on the ragland and the yoke. It's very well written though but it does need a bit of concentration because well it certainly did for me because I'm not good at remembering repeat patterns. I do really like this though and I think it's going to be a great addition for something to wear in the summer or on those days where it's just a little bit cooler and you want something perhaps a little bit warmer while the cotton still provides that that coolness if that makes sense. Stephen West recently promoted on his Instagram account a short-sleeved sweater which is designed by Tiff Nealon and it's called Wonderlight and this is knitted in DK or four-ply held together and this is knitted bottom-up and it's got a lovely hem detail of herringbone stitch and it's also got a contrast colour for the neckline and the sleeve cuffs and I'm just swatching that at the moment in my new Dorset Down wool and that's going to then be on my needles. And I also purchased the Weekend Light pattern by Andrea Mulberry. And this is actually long-sleeved, but it looks just like one of those amazing go-to jumpers that you want in your wardrobe when you need something with a little bit of extra warmth, comfy, stylish, but lightweight. And I'm going to use some sash for that probably. And there's a couple of other patterns I've got my eye on too. There's a lovely top in the Knitter magazine this month. It's called St Ninian's Isle by Brona Miss Kelly and it's a short-sleeved v-neck jumper with garter stitch and the Shetland print of the wave pattern. And there's a lovely little button on the point of the V, which I'm sure you can guess what I will be putting there. <laughs> and that's on my to-do list now. And I'm also keeping an eye out as late in August, there's a pattern due to be released by Jimmy Knits. It's called Mixage and if you've not seen over on Instagram there have been some sneak peeks of it and it's very striking. The detail on it is amazing and yeah I seem to have got uh, this want 
to knit lots of projects. I have lots of projects on my needles at the moment. And surprisingly for me, lots of tops. Usually I'm a shawl girl, as you'll know, but I have uh, seemed to have switched over and I want to start them all now. <laughs> uh, I've even, in very odd and very rare moments, wished that I'd got a sewing machine. Now that is, that is quite shocking because I've always disliked sewing machines. Maybe I will be converted. Maybe it's in me somewhere. And the final bit of making is not something that I've actually done. I did intend to, but have ended up asking a friend to do it for me. In Scotland, it's now advisory to wear a face covering when out, especially in shops. And it's also mandatory on public transport, although probably not somewhere or something I will be using in the near future. I had intended that I would sew them by hand because, you know, they're not a big item and that's something I could have done. One of my friends, though, has been making face coverings and has been selling them online. So I asked if she would make some for Garrett and I with my Dorset button fabric and some of Garrett's old shirts. And yeah, they're great. Really good. So I've got uh, one in green and one in the pink fabric and Garrett's got one in blue and one in the red fabric. And as someone who can feel claustrophobic from time to time, it's certainly going to take quite a bit of getting used to wearing these. Dorset buttons. A couple of newsletters have gone out since I last spoke and I'd love to extend a thank you to all of you who took the trouble to write back with your lovely feedback. It's very supportive. Thank you. The new Dorset button wall hangings with letters were very popular and Love and Family is definitely the top one so far. They did sell out. I am very pleased to say, though, that the new letters arrived yesterday and uh, they are all back in stock. I actually bought the original batch of letters a long time ago with an idea in mind, which wasn't the one that I've just made. Uh, this one will still happen just a little bit later in time. The seven colours of the new Dorset Down that I showed you, they've all been named after locations in Dorset. The yarn is rustic. It's hard wearing, it's warm, it's good for colour work and it does soften after washing and over time. If you're not already familiar with it, I would definitely recommend listening to the Wool Exploration series by Louise of Woolwork, formerly uh, Knit British. Because in that series that Louise is running, there's much around the promotion of native breeds, British native breeds and their quality. And Louise has been supported by a number of knitters who knit up swatches. They provide a lot of valuable information on how different breeds, when they're knitted up, change after a wash and a block, and even more so after a second or a third wash and block, which Louise actively encourages. And uh, yeah, you can hear more on one of those series there around the Dorset breeds. There's been a slight delay in getting all of this up onto the website, but they will be there very soon. So keep an eye out on social media and in the newsletter for the announcement. On the note of wool, my newsletter readers have already had this information. I can announce now that the new breed to be added to my collection is Portland. And I'm particularly happy to say that it's now back from the dyers because it got stalled during the process there with the coronavirus and lockdown. Look out for this being on the streets soon. 
And it means for the first time since I started the TJ Frog Shorelines and Strata wool collection, I am now stocking all of the Dorset breeds, which I'm very happy about and it's very special to me. The other thing that got held up in the, the lockdown was my fleeces, which were ready to be spun at a couple of different mills. The mills are now back working and they have just all been called forward for processing. And I spent much of last week knee deep in fleece sorting and the logistics of getting them moved around the country. And, and I'm excited to see those move forward as well and to be able to bring those to you, hopefully late summer, early autumn. I haven't got much more to tell you about in the Dorset Button world. There's a couple of exciting collaborations in the pipeline, but my lips are sealed at the moment. And there's one or two ideas still on the drawing board, which will move off there in the very near future. And a couple of products as well, which are in the final stages of production, which I'm itching to tell you about. Hopefully that will be very, very soon. I would like to, at this point, just give a shout out to Claire. A thank you to Claire. You know who you are, Claire. Claire sent me one of Sue Stratford's Prosecco and Pearl pin badges, which is lovely. And normally my pin badges that I have, my collection of pin badges, would be getting outings at this time of year at yarn festivals because I have them on my uh, money belt that I wear. And of course, that's been tucked away in a cupboard I'm going to get that out and have it up in my office, I think, just so I can see the pin badges or try and come up with another way of displaying them so I get to to look at them during this period that we're in. And talking of yarn festivals, I am booked for a couple later in the year. As with many shows, though, we've we've seen many turn to virtual shows these past few weeks and it, remains to be seen what will happen with these shows later in the year too and any changes I will let you know of as soon as I know on to the sky focus then starting with the local lowdown gin 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 I had to say that a few times because I've been a bit remiss in talking about it of late and the Isle of Skye has a new gin the Isle of Skye Brewing Company, which is based up at Uig, which you might well have visited because it's in the collection of little shops which are by the ferry terminal at Uig. So if you've ever taken the ferry from Uig to the Outer Isles, it might have been somewhere that you called into. They also do some great ales as well, by the way. <laughs> Their gin is called Sky Gin, the store, and that's spelt in the same way as the landscape feature, the old man of store, S-T-O-R-R. And on their website, they list the botanicals. And I'm just going to read those out. We've got juniper, rosehip, coriander, sweet peel, black peppercorn, orris root, licorice, heather, locally sourced angelica and meadowsweet. Wow, that's quite a list, isn't it? It's actually been distilled and bottled on the island too, which really does make me uh, very happy that that process is all happening here as well. And yes, I might just have a bottle and I might have sampled it um, once or twice. <laughs> it's a lovely gin, very refreshing and crisp. 
That now means we have three Sky Gins and they're all distilled here. As I say, it's great that all the processing is happening on Sky too. Lastly, today's interview, the Sky Showcase. As you know, I very much like to interview people face to face. And at the moment, this is not possible. While I was discussing this with my dad on one of our many Zoom calls during this period, who incidentally had just listened to one of my podcasts, which I think was the first one he'd listened to since the first episode I put out, he came up with a fantastic suggestion. I was just annoyed I didn't think of it first. Of course I had someone I could interview face to face. Who other than my TJ Frog staff, aka hubby, Garrett. A lockdown face-to-face interview happened then. Something a little bit different to my other interviews. You get to hear about life as TJ Frog staff, how that happened, and uh, <laughs> and the balance of it with his work and his own journey into the creative world. Well, I had no idea quite how this interview was going to go, but listen in, find out. Here we go. Welcome to the TJ Frog Podcast, Garant. Thank you very much. Should be fun. <laughs> Certainly a different interview to what I normally do. This weekend, you would normally have been down in London at Twickenham. That's correct, yes. Finishing off the season of rugby analysis with the Premiership Cup final. Instead? Instead, I've been at home for the last three months, part of lockdown, with no work, so uh, avoiding chores. Avoiding chores. (laughs) And uh, getting on top of all the things you mean to do with the business that you never get around to. And you have found yourself here on the TJ Frog podcast. Yes, feeling (laughs) honoured. Joining that, you know, elite band of people who've been interviewed by TJ Frog. (laughs) Well, we have to thank my dad for this, as I mentioned in my introduction. And I just can't... Well, I'm annoyed with myself that I never thought of it before. Always an afterthought. (laughs) Hardly. You know that's not true. (laughs) Okay, let's take a step back in time then and just look at your journey as your life as TJ Frog staff. Because that's become quite a a thing now, hasn't it? (laughs) Well, we know who's responsible for the TJ Frog staff, which was also when I probably first sort of started assisting you, which was just to help unload the car, if you recall, (laughs) and then to crack on with some work myself over the weekend. But uh, Edinburgh being what Edinburgh is and quite intense and busy helping to unload the star, the, the car became um, expanded to helping you uh, set up your stand, helping you to meet your enthusiastic customers, helping to sell your products, etc, etc, etc. And then when name badges come out, and they don't even give you a name, you're just down as TJ Frog Stuff. <laughs> yeah, but TJ Frog Stuff is better than nothing at all. Hmm. Hmm. Yes. I I will say in their defence that I think it was after two or perhaps three Edinburgh Yarn Festivals, I did get my name on my badge. uh... 
Joe and Mika, yes, thank you so much for um, that TJ Fogg staff name. It's brilliant and it's just stuck ever since. Stepping back in time then, March 2015, which I can't quite believe where time has gone to, that was my not only my first Edinburgh Yarn Festival, it was my first yarn festival as TJ Frog. And I was part of the pop-up market and we arrived and my stand was just inside the, the doorway. And as Garrett said, he was helping me, well, helping me unload and set up and get everything sorted. And I remember him saying, I'll pop back probably, you know, mid-morning, and then again at lunchtime, just to sort of see how you are and let you step aside from the stand and have your sandwich and cup of tea. Well, as he said, he didn't get to do his work. He didn't even get to go back to the car. I think we were both taken aback by just how busy it was, weren't we? Very much so. And, you know, that very first show, how busy that was. And then each time you go back, it's... As Edinburgh's grown, it's got busier and busier. And as your, you know, your journey as TJ Frog has expanded. So it's it's always been full of surprises, as have some of the other shows as well. So uh, quiet it has never been. Um, from a personal point of view, it, you know, as you know, it then involves balance because normally weekends, if they're during the, uh, well, it's not really a rugby season, it's... Um, you know, at least ten months of a year, so it's it's fitting everything in. Uh, but yeah, it's 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 worked out, and uh, it provides a very different weekend from just pure analysis because you do get to uh, you know meet a very uh, different group of people to the, the circles I work in with with the core part of my business, which is all sport and rugby. Although there are a few TJ Fogg followers out there who. Are, keen rugby people as well so it's always nice to uh, on the stall have some rugby chatting amongst everything yarn and dorset buttons <laughs> and I think you've hit on something there you know whenever um, yarn festival dates appear in you know the the shows start promoting uh, when their date's going to be it's always a look in the diary first isn't it what rugby's on that weekend how can we fit around this will you be able to help out on the stand can you help with driving me there and setting up? And yeah, like you say, there's a balance there, isn't there? Yeah, very much so, because depending on, on the weekends, um, a core weekend is Premiership Rugby in England, which is six matches, but it can be a European weekend, which is 20 matches if it's in their, their rounds, or it can be during the Six Nations uh, or the international windows, where we have both international matches and league matches and how then I work, bearing in mind that uh, there's others involved as well. So it's it's balancing out the work, but being on hand that if a problem arises that we can sort of resolve it while still, like anything, you know, if you've given a commitment, so you've given the commitment to the show, I've given the commitment to you, so you've got to... You've got to honour honor that. It just means that sometimes by Monday night when we have to finish all the, the rugby work, it can be quite uh, quite exhausting and in need of a break. <laughs> well, one of the things that we invested in two years ago now was um, a camper van, wasn't it? A converted transit van, which originally was supposed to be purely for 
getting away at the end of the day, go out for an evening. Because we both work at home, it's, you know, sometimes it's separating that sort of work and home life. And that was the idea behind it. And it kind of ended up becoming a work van, didn't it? But, but for the right reasons. Yes, I mean, joking aside, it, uh, the best thing from a work point of view we, we ever did was fitting out the van um, with a satellite so that it can take my data. And then that allows me to work pretty much anywhere. It's, it is a compromise, but uh, as I say, it makes more things possible, which otherwise wouldn't be able to. The uh, times you've been in a sort of a hotel room and the connectivity doesn't meet what you need. So you can't work. So you can't be in that location. And with the van, it's your own space. It's your own mess. You can put the kettle on when you want. And uh, yeah, modern day communications, my my clients don't know where I am uh, because I'm with you and with your customers doing all <laughs> things yarn related. And as I say, Dorset Buttons, it, uh, yeah, there'd be a few eyebrows raised in, uh, in my rugby world, I'm quite sure. <laughs> yes, yeah, so if they actually knew that really you were um, at Shetland Wool Week. We've done some, some great things because we've, we've been able to have the van and you've been able to come with your work and also help me as, as well. And I think it's been interesting watching your involvement grow over time from that first Edinburgh Yarn Festival with driving and helping out on the stand and probably a, a reluctant helper with twisting yarn and labelling yarn. And <laughs> In fact, I don't actually think the yarn enjoyed the experience either. I'm sure the yarn was squealing at me. <laughs> yes, I think I have a photograph of you sat at the kitchen table with all the piles of yarn and labels with a very sort of disgruntled look on your face. <laughs> yes, that wasn't part of the contract, was it? Let's, let's, let's be honest. The, the, the contract was to help out at yarn festivals, not help out for a couple of weeks before the yarn festival to make sure that you get everything achieved that you need to achieve. Do we have a contract, do we? Uh, yes. Uh, it's a z- zero hours, zero remuneration contract. So, um, is, it, uh, um, is it written down anywhere? Mm, yes. In your head. <laughs> yeah, the problem is the one in my head is very different to the one that's in your head. Oh, dear. Yeah, so anyway, he's uh, become very much a part of TJ Frog and still I love the the TJ Frog staff uh, name that he has uh, got and acquired along along the way and it's quite funny because I was just before this interview I was reflecting back to the earlier years of our marriage and we've been married 27 years this year and we both always enjoyed going to where we used to live, some of the big sort of country fairs or um, things like the New Forest Show, where you got a lot of artists and um, makers and crafters with some very skilled work. And we always both really enjoyed going around looking at those aspects of work, didn't we? And I often used to think, oh, you know, I'd quite like to be doing something like this. I, I think creativity I've always admired and uh, you admire and you can appreciate and enjoy works of art and creativity even in areas that 
you know you might not be ever interested in in buying that that creative process and you know you go around as we as i said we did in the early years as so many you know skilled people i mean one that always um conjures up in my mind was uh the the chainsaw crafters you know that skill and and probably that you know when getting involved with your side of the business then at the yarn shows and behind the scenes and getting to meet people and again that um sheer level of creativity and quite a wide range you know you sort of say yarn show but that that hides an awful lot from um you know people on the design side and then what they're doing with color um and the equipment for want of a better word to support um you know what what people make with with different fibers and everything it's it's huge and as i say some very very talented people uh both niche uh small organizations to people who are not only talented but have become very successful and you know the world's a smaller place these days so you can become you know successful not just you know in your in your corner of the earth you know you you can uh get your work out out to the world well that's the what the internet has opened up to us really isn't it compared to what it used to be be like that's why you need a van with a satellite on the roof. <laughs> I, keep, I keep telling you it says it'll catch on We're talking about the whole tj frog side of things but alongside your rugby analysis business you also have a photography business let's look a little bit about your creative journey and and tell us how that all started and what you do in it as well well the creative journey started a long way long time ago which was actually as a student and i needed to earn some money because i'd spent all my grant on uh in in the days of grants because of course modern day students you have to pay your way but we used to have a government grant and i'd spent all that on an investment which did work but i had no money so i hit upon the idea of using a camera to make some money and take some photographs and that got me into photography in the days of uh, wet film and uh, I managed to sell some of the photographs which helped get me through college Um, also learnt some things in those very early days that stood me in good stead with with how the business worked in terms of whether you sold photographs lock stock and barrel or you sold the rights to the photographs and I made some big errors in those days, but learned some big lessons. Um, when I finished with college, the, the photography went back to literally being more of an interest and then faded out. And sort of during my time away, the industry went fully digital. And I decided I would get back into photography just for myself in a digital way. So uh, boxed up all the the old equipment, which was wet film, and and on an overseas trip, bought a couple of very good lenses with a okay body, and got back predominantly into landscape. First of all, landscape photography, which um, I've always enjoyed what's around me, and the landscape led to wildlife, and the wildlife photography led to having equipment that I could do sport and it's through the sports photography where the 
there is still a market or we could grow a market from a business point of view because landscape and wildlife it, it's, it's quite a difficult industry at the moment to actually um, run a business that isn't involved with teaching or experience to actually sell your wares it's a crowded market so the sport gave avenues but like with anything in business um, it's easy these days as equipment's got cheaper it's easy to take sports photographs if you get access you can take some great sports photographs and some of the people who I now work with and I, I use within the company they're not professional photographers they're just very talented um, Amateur's the wrong word because they are professional in approach and they've got an eye. Uh, they just make a living outside of photography and, and have the photography as an interest. So with that side and you're always concerned, is someone going to take my market? That's where wanting the business to be successful and wanting to keep stretching myself. I think the creativity from some of what I was seeing with others, uh, not just in the photography market, but uh, away from that and interests I had and a bit of self-development, which I think we've both always felt was important. I thought, well, let's try and bring some creativity in the sporting environment. And that's probably been my focus the last four years. Um, and becoming far more aware now of what um, I can do with light and light with photography and went down what we can then do with artificial light and then you understand what you can do with artificial light that brings you back to what you can do with natural light yeah and that has then started allowing us to do things in sport and events uh, which is a little bit different and probably then the only other side where the business um it's creative but not in an artistic sense it's a creative in a business sense of making the business fast because the world is getting faster and yeah. and the photography world is getting faster and in the sports world if you can be fast with great images it's going to help and uh, we 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 have become more and more focused on that in in creative business processes to allow us to be fast without being expensive. And is, and is this around um, the real time in the match from taking a photograph to having it out on social media with copy and yes, and um, you know I work with some great photographers a great bunch of people have bought in and it is um our record is 30 seconds from when the piece of action happened which was a final whistle uh to having an image on you know social media with a paragraph of text describing what we were doing uh 30 seconds was because we know the final whistle was about to come so it's slightly artificial but we are regularly below two minutes, around one minute 40 for real live action. A try is scored. And it's not normally me now taking the photographs, but my photographer has got the image in his camera, great image, sent 
to me and I might be at home on Sky and the photographer might be down in the south of England. We've turned it around, we've captioned it and the client's social media guru has put it out under their their brand logos and you know sometimes the social media uh, operative for want of a better term is in one location the match is happening somewhere else and I'm somewhere else and to have that all around a minute and 40 it's um it's scary sometimes it just it's 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 where technology's going but it's it's fascinating and you know uh, it's exciting when it's harnessed in the in the right right way so uh, and something you probably never imagined all those years ago as a student that you no, would end up doing no, something exactly. like that and, and I really think you know some of your um, yarn shows really need an event photographer that, <laughs> that, that can turn their, their social media imagery out in real time but uh, and that would be straying, straying into other fields. I'm going to tell him off for this because he's not here to promote his business. <laughs> In fact, I might even delete this. <laughs> Moving swiftly on then. Linking to what you've just told us about then, you've got an exciting event coming up, haven't you? Well, you've got two exciting events, equally important, very different, very contrasting. Tell us about what you're going to be doing. And I'll briefly tell them both because it shows how different and how equally exciting. So the, so the first one, the, the rehearsal on the Wednesday is work we do on Sky, myself and, a, and a, another photographer, photographer, Jill, and we're just photographing Sky underwater. And we're doing that as a presentation via Zoom. Everyone's on Zoom now, thanks to lockdown. Uh, and it's a virtual village hall, uh, just down the road from us and that that's going to be exciting but the and you know a comparative handful of people locals can I can I just um, tell people a little bit more about that though because um the below the skyline if anybody does want to to follow it you've got a website haven't you you're on Facebook and Instagram yes yes we are and it's how all great partnerships should work so I work with a fantastic photographer Jill who is a former police diver and she gets into her wetsuit which is nine millimeters thick because the water's really cold she spends all her time underwater with some equipment that we we provided to feed her enthusiasm and then she sends it to me and I, I stay with a nice hot cup of coffee and, and I do some post-production. But between the two of us, we've got an enthusiasm and um, I think she's providing some great resource and source imagery. And I think we're turning out some great images. I, I'm, I'm proud of them. I know Jill's proud of them. So that's the, the Wednesday. Yeah, so if you, if you like pictures of jellyfish and different fish and sea anemones and sea slugs and you want to just find out a little bit more about what's underneath the, the waters here around Sky, then do, do take a look at their social media. Thank you. And so that's below the skyline, Sky with an E. Um, but then the following day, it's going to be an audience going into the thousands, which is a seminar being run out of New York, uh, a company that I use uh, their product called Librisk. And basically, it's a digital asset management um, system. And it's it what allows us to support our clients um, in real time in the event photography. They're putting on a seminar 
again because the states have been in lockdown uh, for photographers predominantly across the states but uh, around the world and I'm really quite honoured so the the section I'm speaking on is uh, called the Power Hour uh, and it's uh, four different organisations that use real-time imagery to tell their story and uh, I'm sharing the platform with San Francisco 49ers and the Carolina Panthers from the the NFL and the third organisation is NASCAR uh, and their their global NASCAR um, media team, and then Allegan Photography, and we're doing the work we do with the with the British Army, um, both at Twickenham Stadium with the Army Navy game, but also contrasting that to what we do on a wet Wednesday evening at Aldershot. With us, you know, it's, it's a small stadium, but it doesn't have that infrastructure, and. Uh, it was that area that Libris wanted to see because in some ways doing real-time events in big stadium is easy because the infrastructures are yeah. phenomenal. Uh, you know, Ethernet connections, Wi-Fi, dedicated teams, you name it. Uh, but to do the same on a, you know, under poor lights on, on, a, on a wet Wednesday evening is, is more difficult. And I'm, I'm pleased to be able to showcase the... The, the Army Rugby Union on this because we as a company are not where we are without being able to experiment and to experiment you've got to experiment in with real situations and their players from across their teams women men under 23 sevens and their their management have been so supportive in allowing you know myself and colleague photographers to play about, ask them to do daft things, <laughs> trial things, <laughs> do it again. We got the lights wrong, and you you have to appreciate that it's it's a commitment. And when it works, they then get some great photography. But not everything we've tried with them has worked. Yeah. So I'm appreciative of them, and we're showcasing them um, on the seminar on on Thursday with some big brands. Brilliant. I mean some multi-million dollar brands and and us from the little old corner of the island sky let's talk about rugby from a slightly different angle then <laughs> slightly just going off on a tangent off a creative pathway there are some people who call me the long suffering time yeah <laughs> Why might that be, Garrett? <laughs> well, the reality of it is, is why I've always have to be positive about being TJ Fogg's staff. <laughs> is you know, there's a, there's a yin and there's a yang in life. There's a certain karma, uh, and in the early days, um, I, I was fortunate enough to perform in, in rugby at quite a high level, predominantly as a referee. And then on the administrative side of things, I was I was heavily involved with um, making sure that referees uh, in the armed forces got to the right game at the right time. From my active refereeing point of view, as with many people who get to the top, there's a there is a degree of, of selfishness involved, as or dedication or focus. You can call it what you want, and. Uh, 
the reality of it was was if we were going to see each other, well, some of it was going to have to be on the pitch side of a <laughs> of a of a rugby field because I was away all week during the week with work and uh, limited time at the weekend. So you were dragged around the country, uh, starting off at some again quite small rugby grounds, and as my career got better the rugby grounds improved and then you found out that some of the better rugby grounds had hospitality and then you found out that they would give you gin and tonic free of charge. <laughs> so 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 things weren't not that I'm easily for. Not totally bad. And then I seem to remember as well that by the end they relax what you could do with overseas trips and we we finished with a very nice trip to Argentina. Yeah. And and visits to wineries in Argentina. So so it, there was a lot of sacrifice, but the sacrifice towards the end had some had some benefits. But on the on the admin side, when when you did agree to be the um, the the area secretary for the referees in the in Hampshire and um, Berkshire, Berkshire and Wiltshire, and Wiltshire three that, counties. That that was. Um, that was just a downside. There was, there wasn't many upsides to to that administration, but it proved the point that um, you, you, you know, sports at the lower level only exists because behind the scenes there's a lot of people doing a lot of work, and you know that can be people yeah. involved with the sport or just people who are prepared to be organised and understanding. And, and put the time in and you know that's across this you know across the spectrum and I, I bet you if we come back into the into the the fiber world the yarn world there are an awful lot of dedicated small organizations that only get their their great work out there because behind the scenes there's you know there's partners there's families there's friends, there's neighbours, there's the kitchen exactly. cat all being roped in to assist with, you know, project whatever, whatever the next project is. And it's the way the world goes round, you know, yeah. behind everything. there are. There's a lot of work that takes creating anything or achieving anything or running anything. And, you know, for everybody that's getting a little bit of money from it, there's a whole army of volunteers um, or people tagging along because otherwise they don't get to see each other so we mustn't lose sight of that and you've seen it from both sides you've seen it from you know our early days with my rugby and uh, now you're seeing that uh, yes it's his time to assist <laughs> it's payback time, payback time. <laughs> I said yes, that with feeling exactly. <laughs> yeah when he asked me about this area secretary thing it was just one evening, sat in the lounge, she said, oh, you know, so-and-so's um, finished their time as the area secretary, they're moving on, and so-and-so's taken over, but we've got a little short gap in between. Do you think you could cover it? And I asked what it was. Well, it's just a few phone calls and, you know, keeping a log of people. Okay, yeah, I said. A year later, I did this for a whole year. And little did I know it would be sort of like a rugby team phoning me up at four o'clock on a very wet, windy afternoon, you know, in November saying, our referee's fallen out, we need a referee now, who can you get? And, you know, you're then on the phone running around trying to 
chase people asking, would they do you a favour? Could they turn up in a couple of hours to some soggy rugby pitch somewhere that probably wasn't the best um, match? Um, not the best match, you know, the, the best kind of day to, to go and do this. And, you know, there were some people who you knew would always turn out, what, whatever the weather, whatever the circumstances, whatever the fixture. Um, but as Garrett said, you know, I think bringing it whole back to to the yarn world you know we've both seen just from the shows how it is such a kind of family and friends event with everybody else behind helping making that happen and there's been many many other things around rugby that we could um talk about but I don't wish to um bore you (laughs) or um, I'm sure Garrett doesn't want to (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> go back to some of them but there's there's one thing that cropped up in my mind and again it's 2015 2015's popping up quite a lot in this interview it was my birthday and we were going down to Cornwall for a couple of days away and at the time we still had our house down south so I think we'd we'd left from there and we were journey journeying down to Cornwall and sorry, a bit slow on the uptake. I know where this is now going. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I was worried for a moment. And you know, we've still got about three hours to get down to Cornwall, and I'm looking forward to a couple of days away from you know everything. And uh, Garant says, We just got to stop off at someone's house, and I'm like, Why? And he said, oh, I've got to pick up some stuff for the, the rugby match that's happening next week. <sighs> Big huff and sigh from me, trying not to show that, do we really have to take this detour? And we get there. And he said, oh, are you going to come in? And I'm like, well, no, if you just got to go in and pick the stuff up, let's just go and pick the stuff up and carry on on our way. So I stay sat in the car while he trots off to this person's house. About five minutes later, he comes back out and says, they've invited us in for a cup of coffee. Are you going to come in? So I'm kind of thinking, oh, do I have to? But yeah, it would look rude if I didn't. So anyway, we went in. Little did I know that this was actually a surprise that Garant had set up. And this chap's wife had been commissioned by Garant to make me a birthday cake and this birthday cake was just incredible and yeah so the base of the cake the the um I can't think what you call them the the cake plate thing that it was on was all iced all stocking stitch knitting and then there was a tower of dorset buttons and the top dorset button made into a cross wheel there's a little frog sat Lice frog sat on the the knitting and two other little um dorset buttons on there and it was just yeah took my breath away absolutely amazing and she'd never actually seen a dorset button before she just looked at my website to get an idea of what they they were like so yeah there was me being sort of uh, <laughs> throwing my little huffy puffy tantrum in the car because again rugby was impacting on something that was supposed to not be about rugby and here Garrett had uh, made, well, had um, had this great, great birthday cake made for me, which we duly then took down to Cornwall and uh, made our way through <laughs> while we were away. <laughs> so, yeah, that was uh, 
I don't know how you could top that birthday cake, actually, because it was pretty impressive. <laughs> no, that was uh, that was Rachel. I I, um, I, I I knew her husband through rugby and 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 work. We worked in the same organisation, and uh, again, part of the internet, he put up some of her creations for people's normally leaving dues from work, and they all just told a story. But uh, again, extremely talented. Uh, the artwork. And as you say, the the way she took the Dorset button design to create the cake was was something a bit special because it was a it was a leap of faith because you know the first time I saw the cake was when you saw it. So <laughs> <laughs> it, it uh, but fortunately it was uh, it was a work of art, very talented. Yeah. So rugby, birthday cakes, frogs, TJ frogs, yarn festivals, camper vans. Um, we've covered quite a lot. Oh, and photography, of course. What now? Because we don't really know, do we? No, it's there's there's a bit of a dilemma brewing because one of the real benefits from lockdown has been the ability to uh, take some lovely photographs in and around where we live. And I'm pretty certain there's a chick in our nest of our pair of whitetail eagles. So that chick's going to be fledging fairly soon and I would like to have some time. But finally, professional rugby is getting its act together and we might be in a position where we're going to complete the season which still hasn't been completed, which was due to finish yesterday. But it's not due to start again till... Middle of August, August. yeah. Yeah. So, But as you've probably noticed, although we haven't started the main work, there's been more calls, all the admin behind the scenes. So at some stage, we're going to go back to finishing what we should have done. But I would like to make sure it doesn't get too busy so that uh, watching that, uh, hopefully a a white-tailed eagle youngster develop um from the house would be would be special so uh looking forward to a bit of work but not too soon too much (laughs) well not too soon not too much either because you've also got back into something which is also creative which is cooking and that's not to say that you don't normally cook anyway because i'm not a cook and you normally cook and you do cook well but you've done a lot more experimenting you've got into your bread making you've done some new recipes that you haven't done before and and you used to many many years ago do do that regularly didn't you and that's creative as well yeah that's been fun that's been one of the sort of benefits of this uh, crazy few months we've had the uh, the sourdough recipe has been perfected so i i enjoy my fresh homemade bread uh most days fresh loaf every other day and some of the other dishes uh some nice Thai flavours, so yeah, that's been that's been a positive. And I've made three lemon drizzle cakes. Yeah, and they've been been good as well. And you you're talking about an early Christmas cake because that's normally last minute, isn't it, <laughs> Christmas cake? So we might actually get on the front foot for once. <laughs> well, I've bought the cherries, so I've made a start. <laughs> <laughs> Speechless. <laughs> oh dear. Well. Thank you so much, Garrett, for uh, taking up the challenge that my dad came up with and uh, for joining me here on the podcast. It's been an absolute pleasure. (laughs) You're not seeing the grin that he's giving me. (laughs) To be fair, thank you very much. Um, 
when I write my autobiography, it will be a highlight. Oh, of course. And I was invited to the TJ Frog podcast. <laughs> of course. Thank you very much. My pleasure. Bye. It turned out to be fun to do. I know some of you have met Garant at yarn festivals on my stand, and despite his protests, I think secretly he does really enjoy it all. He's very supportive and he's learned all about my products and all the information so he can pass that on. And he's actually made a Dorset button. We didn't talk about this in the interview. One Dorset button. And he will tell you that that is the only one he will ever make. But he can show you. He can talk through all the different techniques. And it's great watching him interact with people, telling them about the history and all the techniques involved. I have tried to get him knitting, but he's not interested, which does sadden me because as a mathematician, I think he will take to it like a duck to water. But no, he's not interested. I liked how he touched on volunteer and family and friends support with uh, businesses and in particular in the yarn world, what he's seen happen. All those extra people behind the scenes that make that stand appear on the day when you walk into a yarn festival. I sometimes wonder if as a visitor you could see us during setup just what happens. I mean, it is a phenomenal feat, really. All the toings and froings from vehicles and yeah, family and friends, they need a huge chuck up. The physical support, the hands-on support, the emotional support and the time that they give to us to help make our businesses run. I know that some of you have already ventured over to follow Garrett on social media as well as the Below the Skyline that we talked about. His social media is also Allegin Photography. Be warned though if you do go while you are going to see some great landscape photography from around Sky and some wonderful wildlife photography from around Sky. There's a lot of rugby as well. <laughs> Albeit that's a little bit thin on the ground at the moment. So now could be a good time to uh, look at some of uh, what he has been up to during this period. He doesn't really sell his uh, landscape or wildlife photography. It has really been very much for his own enjoyment and learning. Although we did get some cards and pictures made up uh, in the past for one of the exhibitions here on Sky. So I would like to do a little bit more of that with his work in the future. And I have got a couple of ideas of things which I might tell you about one day. <laughs> Just need to get on top of my own products first before I start doing products for him. Anyway, it was lovely to, to do that interview, a little bit different. I haven't quite worked out what I'm going to do for an interview for my next episode. I'll have to uh, have a think about that. I might need to resort to doing a Zoom interview. I don't really want to, but as I say, I'll have a think. That's it then for this episode. Once again, apologies for the time interval between this one and the last episode I will aim not to leave it so long next time I do feel that there's already another episode in me there were things I wanted to include in this one and I kept going to talk about stuff and thinking nope I need to leave that till next time oh I'll leave that till next time so you never know there might be one uh, in a couple of weeks or so look out for it and let's hope that the energy stays around this time Wherever you are, I hope you are keeping well. I hope that you have got family and friends around. And if not, that you are able to reach out for support in your community. 
I'll be back soon. In the meantime, you can find the show notes on the website at tjfrog.co.uk. And if you'd like to get in touch, either drop me a line at tanya at tjfrog.co.uk or via the contact page on the website. Or on Facebook and Instagram as tjfrogsky, Twitter as tjfrogmakes and Ravelry as tjfrog. The music's by Ron Paintant and licensed from Melody Loops and called One Frog for a Prince. Bye for now. Till next time. Bye.